0: Well, good morning, I'm Steven. I'm the pastor here, and uh, i got to start by telling you something that happened to me on Friday. Um, for the fourth time now in my life, my shoulder separated. I was loading up our van, pushing some boxes in, evidently at an awkward angle, and all of a sudden I felt something happen, and then it was like, before I could do anything else, it was out. And I was like, oh no, oh no. And in my head, I, I, like, I screamed out loud because of the terror of what I was about to go through. Because three other times, this happened to me, three other times, um, and in those three other times, what this meant was in about, 10 or 15 minutes, the worst pain I've ever experienced is going to set in. At first, you have shock, which is kind of cool. Like, thank you, God, for shock. Um, That keeps you from pain. But I knew that the pain was coming. I knew that it was about 10 or 15 minutes away. And then I knew that what was in store for me was probably about five hours of sitting in an emergency room until I screamed loud enough for them to put me on a bed. And then I'd still have to wait five hours, even though I was on a bed, just because that's not a huge priority, until they either knocked me out or gave me enough drugs where they could put it back in. And I was like, no, like no, how did this I'm like I'm I'm trying to help somebody here, like why would this happen to me, right? And then all of a sudden I realized, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, wait, wait. I know something this time that I didn't know the other three times. Because the last time I separated my shoulder, I asked the doctor. Well, first of all, I asked the orthopedic surgeon, I said, hey how do I put this thing back in myself? Like, I don't have to go to the emergency room because it's awful. And like, I'm just literally like for five hours, anytime anybody breathes on me, it like hurts. And and he goes, well, I can't tell you that. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I can't tell you. I'm like, why? And he goes, well, liability. Because if I tell you to do something and you do it, you could sue me if it gets worse or something like that. I'm like, oh gosh, okay. All right, so then I asked my primary care physician and he goes, oh yeah, this is what you do next time it happens. And he goes this, so he goes, He says, grab your wrist and, like, pull it out. And if you get it out the right way, it'll, like, go out and then go in, right? And so, So, um, the other thing that I did was I had this conversation in the office upstairs with Mike, with our own beloved Mike, whose shoulder has gone out on him 11 times, he says, and he was like oh actually this is how you do it you got to grab the side of a door or whatever and you kind of lean back and that's how you do it right so so there i am i'm like i got 10 minutes 10 minutes where this isn't going to hurt so bad i got to be able to put this in like I, I i can't go through that again like oh and so all right so i grab my wrist and i pull and nothing happens <laughs> Like, no, this isn't working. What do I do? And I'm like, did he tell me to do? It? And I was like, wait, wait, Mike. Mike's advice. Mike's advice. Okay. So I grab, you know, when the car doors, like, the doors open, the windows open, you can grab onto the, you know, it's like this thing right here. So I stick my arm on this and I hold onto it, and I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And so I lean back, and all of a sudden, and it felt okay. It felt okay. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I, I think I just put my shoulder back in. Like, no way. I can't believe it. And it felt a little bit squishy. It felt kind of like it hurt a little tiny bit, but I'm like, wait, I think, I think I'm okay. Okay. And it was amazing because like all of a sudden that five hour period of time, like what was now going to happen in eight minutes or seven minutes, like that wasn't going to happen. And the five hours of sitting in the emergency room wasn't going to happen. And I'm thinking, glory, hallelujah. You know, like hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Not thank you, doctor. And then, and then I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, this is such a perfect illustration for what I'm going to preach on in two days. And then I thought, God, isn't there a better way to give me illustrations? <laughs> like, come on, do I really have to go through this? But yeah, like it feels good. And, and so what's, what was striking to me was that what made all of the difference, because I've been through this three times already, same thing every time, but this fourth time was different because I knew what to do. Right, knowing what to do helped me to be a different person. Are you with me? Like because I knew this thing that I didn't know before. Like I could act, I could, I could react, I could be a totally different person in the same situation. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the relationship between knowing who you are as a Christian and then being a new person who follows Christ, okay? That's what we're gonna talk about. And so just to put it in a different way, we're gonna to talk today about how knowing produces new being, okay? Knowing produces new being. And then to say it a little bit even differently, what you know changes who you're able to be, okay? What you know changes who you're able to be. I literally was at the mercy the first three times. I, I, I could do nothing but just sit there and just like wish the pain would go away while somebody drove me. The first time I think it was an ambulance. The second time I had to, I can't even remember all these times, but like, um, oh no, 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 The second time was in a car. And then the third time was also in a car. But I was literally just sitting there completely unable to do anything except wish people wouldn't breathe on me and wonder like how in the world am I supposed to like connect to Jesus and his pain through this? I mean, I could do nothing but this last time because of what I knew it changed who I was able to be. And this is true, this is like the, one of the fundamental truths of Easter, actually. Because Easter is news, right? It's this news about what Jesus did. He died for our sins, but then he rose from the dead, right? He passed through death and into eternal life. He is now, in his resurrection, Jesus is Lord of the world. He's in charge of everything, which doesn't mean that he's responsible for everything, because the way that Jesus rules and reigns, he gives us a heck of a lot of authority. He gives us all kinds of delegated authority and we can make a mess or make wonderful things out of the authority that he's given us. But he is now Lord of the world and the world is moving. All the world is moving in a direction where he is going to be in control, um, where he is going to make all things new. And the extra news of Easter that we've been looking at is that when we follow Jesus, God makes something else resurrect inside of us. Okay, when we believe in Jesus, God makes something come alive inside of us. It's almost like God gives us like a spiritual muscle. Um, And when we exercise this muscle, we get stronger from the inside out. And so today we're going to talk about how to exercise that muscle. Um, Last week we talked about exercising that muscle through knowing. Today we're going to talk about exercising through being, through being someone different. We don't just want to be people who know differently up here, but we want to be people who are different in here who live differently. And so we're going to focus on Romans 6, verse 12, which is in your bulletin, but I'm going to read this, and we're going to start in verse 11 just because I want to see the relationship between verses 11 and 12. So let's read this, friends. This is God's word, Romans 6, 11 and 12. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey Its passions. So, we're going to look at three points today. First, knowing produces being. So, if you want to write something down, write this down. Knowing produces being. Okay? As was the case with my shoulder, (laughs) what you know shapes who you are, what you know shapes how you'll act and the kind of person that you'll be. And so there's this relationship, and this relationship is talked about in lots of different verses. Let me just give you a couple of them. John 17, 17. This is Jesus praying to his heavenly father for us. And what he says is, he says in John 17, 17, he says, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctify means to be treated as special, to have a holy or a sacred purpose, And so Jesus is saying, God, make my people special in the world. Make my people different. Make them sacred. The Bible says that God's people are his chosen, special, treasured possession on earth. And so Jesus is saying, make them that way. How? In the truth. Make them that way in the truth, your word is truth. So what we see here is that it's God's truth. It's the communication of truth that actually makes us the kind of people who are special, sacred and treasured by God. And then Romans 10:17 says this. It says, "So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ." So the reason why people believe the gospel, the reason why people follow Jesus is because they hear him. They hear the good news of Jesus and they find themselves believing. It begins to make sense to them as they hear the message of Jesus, as they hear that Jesus came and died for our sins, that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus then ascended into heaven and sent his spirit to fill our hearts so that we're never alone He sent us his spirit so that we would have his power, so that we would have his presence, so that we would have his love. People hear that and they think, wow, I want that. Or they think, wow, like I was talking to somebody today, I was doing a a Bible study with somebody and a friend was, was there and was like, oh yeah, hey, I'll take off while you do your study. We were like, no, stick with us. And it was so interesting because this person who stayed with us, we were talking about Ephesians chapter two, how we were dead in our sins. And I was a little nervous because that's kind of bad news-ish, you know? Like, we're dead in our sins in which we walked according to the course of this world. We were, by nature, children of wrath. I'm like, dang, like, okay, God, you know, got to work here. And so I said, you know, this is what Paul is saying about himself. He's saying, like, we were, by nature, children of wrath. And this is just describing the brokenness that characterized our lives. And the friend was like, yep. (laughs) Yep, that's how it is, isn't it? And I'm like, Yes! So faith comes by hearing, by hearing the message. And so, again, it's knowing. We hear the good news. We know, we learn, and we actually receive faith. that transforms everything in our lives. And so the point here that these two verses give us is that knowing produces being. If the gospel is true, then you can be someone new. And so the command here in verse 12 is this. It says, don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So don't let this, don't let sin reign. This is teaching us, this command is teaching us who we are. Okay? The commands in the Bible are not meant to condemn us. Okay? If you've been around uh, the church for any length of time. You know, you have that sense of guilt that sometimes the Bible is used to, to, make, to make us feel condemned, but that's not what the commands in the Bible are for. Last week, we saw that the commandments are actually invitations to experience Jesus and his power. That's what they're designed to do. Do this, don't do this, and if you follow this, you will experience Jesus's power because you'll be living the way he does. Today, though, in this verse, in verse 12, it shows us that the commandments, listen to this, the commands in the Bible, they're also declarations of who you are if you're following Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that you could read the commands in the Bible and know that God has made you to become someone who does this? In the gospel, Jesus is working in your heart, in your mind, in your feelings, in your emotions, in your actions to make you a person who does this or doesn't do this. So I know what it's like to read a command in the Bible and go, oh man, I blew this one. (laughs) And that's appropriate because God does want us to be humble. He wants us to ask for forgiveness. He wants to cleanse us so that we'll know that he loves us and he still loves us and he's with us. But these commands are also designed, they're like photographs of you with Jesus living in you. That's what the commands are. And when you think about the commands that way, they become life-giving. They become life-giving. And so when you know this, the commands even begin to change you. So, knowing produces being. Our second point is that, this is a little bit more negative from this verse, it's that sin is out to control you. Okay, sin is out to control you. Verse 12 says this, don't let sin reign therefore in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Okay, so sin wants to control you. That's what this verse says. So as I thought about this verse, I thought there's lots of different types of sins that I struggle with, that I know people struggle with. Um, some sin promises pleasure, but in the end it delivers bondage. Okay. Other kinds of sins promise to give you control over your life. Right. If you would give in to your anger, you could really control the people around you they would cower. They would not want to upset you. And if you use that anger, you can get control of your life. So that's what it promises. Sin promises to give you control, but it delivers slavery. Still other sin promises to protect you, um, to hide the truth, to hide what's going on inside, to hide your feelings, but it lies, and it wants to control you. Jesus said this, and this is really, really powerful. In John 8, verse 34, it says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Ouch. So practicing sin produces bondage and addiction in all kinds of ways. We get something when we sin, right? There's a reason that we're attracted to sin. There's a reason. It's offering us something, we take that. But the temptation to sin always has a hook in it. And so like a fish who takes the bait, sin gets a hold of us and it begins to reel us in. It puts us in bondage. And so don't let sin control you. Don't let sin reign over you as though it's your king. There's a writer named David Foster Wallace. Um, He is an atheist. And I'm going to read you some things that he said. And they absolutely blow my mind that someone who doesn't believe in God would articulate these things. Because even without God, he could see how sin takes control over us. So I'm going to read some, it's, it's kind of a long quote, so I'm going to read some things, break it down, and, and then read some more. He says this, he says, If you feel good about yourself when you can tear down all those bad people out there, right, if that's what makes you feel good, to be able to criticize, whether it's politics, or whether it's relationships, or whether it's gossip, if you feel good about yourself when you tear down all those bad people out there, you will be consumed by a critical and judgmental spirit. If this feeds your soul, you're going to have to keep doing it to stay meaningful. Ouch. (laughs) Your critical spirit will consume you with bitterness and self-righteousness, and it will never end. It will never be enough. So sin controls us. He goes on, he says this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. This is an atheist. Anything you worship that isn't God will eat you alive. Friends, we need to know this. Like, I forget this. In the moment of my temptation, in the moment when I get angry, in the moment when I need to be controlling, right? In the, no, in the moment when I want to feed my lust. Like, in those moments, I forget this. I forget this, and so I want you not to forget it either. But listen, he says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough, It's the truth. He says, worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Because the only thing that you will see when you look in the mirror are those few things that aren't what they could be. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally bury you. (laughs) How many of you died this morning getting ready for work, getting ready for church, right? Um, He goes on, worship power. And you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Sin just wants to control us. It's not good for us. It doesn't want us to be happy. It wants to destroy us. He says this, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they're unconscious. These are our default settings. It's just who we are by nature. We are dead in our sins. And so these are the passions that sin makes us obey. And if you let sin reign, it will make you obey it. listen to this, the sinful desires that you have, okay, those moments when you want to be aggressive towards someone, the sinful desire to hurt someone else, the sinful desire to withdraw and manipulate by holding back your emotions, right? The sinful, all the sinful desires that we have, those sinful feelings that you have, those are sin asking you to let it rain. Like that is sin coming to you. When you feel that way, that's sin saying, Can I rule over you? When I think about that, I think, Oh my goodness. Like, no, hell no. God, no. Right? And we have to remember this. This is why this verse is teaching us this. And so, like, in the moment, we need to ask ourselves, do I want my life to be characterized by this desire? So when the feeling comes and you feel tempted, right, for those temptations that come and don't just like, you know, just sometimes we think about this afterwards, right? Um, But when that feeling comes, ask yourself, do I want my life to be characterized by this desire? Like really, do I want this to be actually part of who I am? Do I want this desire to be one of the things that controls me? Do I want my life to be controlled by this? I mean, these are the questions that we need to ask ourselves in the moment. And if you're like me, sometimes we don't ask ourselves these questions until after we fail. Right? And that's okay. I mean, it's not ideal, but that's okay. Because even after we fail, we still need to ask ourselves these questions. Because if you ask yourself these questions honestly, do I really want my life to be characterized by this? By this desire? Do I want this desire to reign over me? You say, no. No, I don't. I want Jesus to reign over me. Right? As you do that, your time of rejecting that desire, like like your desire to reject that will grow. And as you practice that, post-failure process. There will come a moment in your life, it might take a week, it might take a month, it could maybe take a year, it depends. Like you will find though that you will be able to, like that that question that gets asked after you fail will jump. And you'll find that there's a moment and you're gonna get surprised when it comes to you. But there's a moment when you're gonna be like, wait, hold on. I'm asking myself this question, and I haven't done it yet. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, wait, wait. I'm now asking the question, and I don't feel awful because I'm already miserably fail. You know, I'm already miserable failure, right? I'm asking now, and you know what? I, I don't want this, so I'm not going to do it. And like that, that, that jump is a wonderful expression. Of maturity. It's, it's you growing. It's that muscle getting exercised, gets stronger and stronger, so that it's triggered, that it goes off before you fail. And this is true, like in relationships and situations, in all kinds of tempting situations. Um, and so we want to ask ourselves those questions Do I want my life to be characterized by this, by this desire? Do I want my life controlled by this? Um, one example of, um, of someone that failed and then asked these questions comes from uh, the movie The Greatest Showman. And um, if you haven't seen the movie, I-, I loved the movie. I know that it's revisionist history about P.T. Barnum, so you know, he wasn't as good a guy as, uh, as he's pictured to be in the movies. But one of the songs in the movie totally describes this process. It's a song from now on, right? And, here, and the lyrics go like this. Some of you who know this song, you're going to be singing it while I say it. I'm not going to sing it. Um, but he says this. He says, I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praised my name. But those are someone else's dreams, the pitfalls of the man I became. For years and years, I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. And that's it right there, isn't it? It'll never be enough. If you chase after anything that's not Jesus, it will never, ever be enough. You will, for years and years, chase their cheers. The crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, and he's talking about his wife and his children, his family. When I stop and see you here, I remember who all this was for. And then the chorus. And from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. And I just love that line from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. And it's like he's finally come to it. He recognizes what hopefully all of us will recognize is that we've been blinded by the light of our sin. We've been blinded by the light of temptation. We've given in to that and we've, we've, we've feasted on sin in different ways and it's hooked us and it's reeling us in. And for some of us, that addiction, that bondage is deep and abiding. Well, this command in Romans 6, verse 12, is telling us today. It's calling all of us, Christians and not Christians. It's saying, hey, look, all of us from now on, let's be people who are not blinded by the light. Let's be people who are not blinded by sin and temptation. Let's not let sin reign over us. P.T. Barnum went through this awakening, this resurrection, and he's now not going to be blinded by fame or fortune or the approval of others. For us, friends, let's be people who are not enslaved to sin, who don't let sin reign over us as king. And it's a struggle, isn't it? It's difficult. There is real pain and frustration, especially when you know who you are and you don't do it. Right? The constant need to confess our sins. I mean, it can feel so awful, right? That we have to keep coming back. I mean, what kind of person am I really when I will do things that I shouldn't do over over and over and over and over and over and over again? So, If you struggle with this, then, like, I know how you feel. (laughs) Welcome to the family. Um, Welcome to my family, anyways. Um, Family of, yeah, just join me. Um, But also, the guy who wrote this letter also understands your struggle. Okay, the Apostle Paul himself, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, he knows how difficult this is. Um, in the very next chapter, in Romans chapter 7, which we'll get to in about two or three years, um, <laughs> he, he talks about, he, he, he goes into crazy graphic detail of how hard it is for him. He talks about how asinine it is to give in to sin, how irrational it is sometimes for someone who is committed to Jesus, for someone who has devoted his life or her life to Jesus to fail like this. Paul gets frustrated with himself also. And with Paul, like, he describes it. He's honest. He confesses his reality. And then he falls back on the gospel. And he knows that sometimes we just need to stand up and try again. When sin reigns, we need to look to another king. And this is our third point. Sin wants to control us. Our third point is that Jesus is a better master. Jesus is a better master. To be a Christian, to become a Christian, just means to let Jesus reign in your life. Jesus is a much better master than sin. Because Jesus is master and friend. Jesus' mastery, his authority over us is expressed in relationship and in friendship. John 15, verse 12 says this. Jesus is talking. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And so Jesus' authority creates a relationship. Yes, he is God. He is master. Whatever he says goes. He calls us to come and to die to ourselves. He calls us to come not to a life that's easy, not to a life that is even pleasurable, but to a life that ultimately is meaningful. Jesus calls us to a life that is significant. Jesus calls us to a life that actually matters, that isn't like chaff. It's not like fluff. It's not like garbage that the wind blows away. Jesus calls us to be people of substance and he works in our lives, and when we follow his authority, we become the kind of people who make a difference. We become the kind of people that live in ways that make other people thankful that you're around. They're thankful that they know you because you make them better, right? We become people that are able to both receive the comfort of the gospel and the order of God's family and God's presence, and we press into the chaos that's around us. We press into the things that are broken because we can bring the power and the presence and the blessing of Jesus where it's not. This is the life that Jesus offers us. It's a life of meaning and significance. Now, There's a lot of people that are afraid to trust Jesus with their lives. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because, gosh, what does that look like? What does it mean? What does it mean? Like, how can I trust someone with everything? Like, how can I make Jesus the complete and total authority over me? And whatever he says, I'm going to do. Whatever he, wherever he leads, that's where I'm going to go. I mean, that should freak you out. If it doesn't freak you out a little bit, at least, you might. You either know Jesus really well, or you don't know enough about his call. One of the two, right? Um, we have to remember what he's done. We have to remember what he's done, that the Jesus who calls us to this kind of life, to this kind of obedience that wants to be our master, is also our friend. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said this, and less than 24 hours later, he did that. And so you can know, I can know, we can know that following Jesus, that we can trust him because he has given his life for us. He's given his life so that we would know his love. We would know that he uses all of his authority, all of it. Every ounce of Jesus' authority, he uses to serve us. To make us people who are glorious, to make us people who are significant, meaningful, and make a difference. So Christians, if you're here and you're a Christian, you've already made this choice, right? You've already given Jesus authority over your life. Now, this might be calling you to even greater obedience to Jesus, so that's a good thing, because Jesus has made you to be somebody who is totally obedient to him. That's the work he's doing in you. But you've made this decision. This is already who you are. You might not have known that your sins can dethrone Jesus in your life, but that's why we confess them. And then for, for our friends, family members who aren't Christian, for those of you who aren't Christians yet, you have a choice to make. We're not gonna push you Honestly, we're just going to lay out in front of you, these are the choices that Jesus gives us. It's the choice to follow him or to allow sin to continue to reign. I'd encourage you, the Bible's perspective is that Jesus' authority alone is the only truly loving authority that can lead us actually to experience real freedom. So commit to him. Commit to him. So I want to talk now, just give you a few quick things about how do we keep sin from reigning in our lives this week. So this week, what can you do? I'm going to give you three things. First, name the reigns of sin and Jesus. Okay? Do this in your life. Think about the areas of, like, think about the, the areas where you struggle and the way that sin reigns in your life right now. Okay? And name that. So, what are the pictures in a, in, a, in a normal week? What are the episodes, the scenes that you play where sin is reigning over you? Where are the areas where you struggle, where you fall, where you fail? Um, you need to describe that. I'm encouraging you to write this down like, oh, this is me when sin is reigning over me. This is what I look like when sin reigns over me. This is what I talk like when sin reigns over me. This is what I feel like when sin reigns over me. Name the reign of sin and how sin reigning over you manifests itself in your life. Okay, and then, then write down. Here's what I look like when Jesus is reigning over me. This is what I do. This is what I say. This is how I think. This is how I feel. When Jesus is reigning over me. When you rehearse that, when you review that, it will give you the experience of resurrection. This is like an exercise. This is this exercise of being. We're remembering that we are no longer the people that are enslaved to sin but we're now enslaved to Jesus, right? Exercise can tire you out. Muscle growth takes time, but it will show up in your life. It'll show up immediately in some areas um, and gradually in other areas of your life. So name the reigns of sin and of Jesus. Um, Then rehearse Jesus's reign in the moments of your life when you need it most. Like so in the areas, like preach this part of the gospel to yourself. So do this at the beginning of your day. So I want to invite you this week, let this be the first thing that you think when your alarm goes off after you turn it off, right? Um, But the first thing you think when you get out of bed, just think, wait, I am no longer letting sin rule over me. I am committed to Jesus and to his leadership. I am committed to following him. I am a child of God. I'm I'm united to Christ. And I will not let sin reign over me. Start your day thinking that. Start your day praying that. God, I know this is true of me. Give me the strength. Right? I'm thinking about some situations that are coming at me today. Give me the strength. So do that at the beginning of the day. And then when temptation comes, rehearse it again. Like in the moment. So for some of us, this means we got to rehearse this as we're going into work, (laughs) right? For some of us, we have to rehearse this as we're going into school. Um, For others of us, this means we have to rehearse this as we are driving home, right? In that relationship, in that situation, you want to rehearse these truths. Do this and see what happens, See how you will end up living like the person that Jesus says you are and that he's made you to be. So the question is, yeah, in what ways can you rehearse these truths in the temptation moments when you need them most? And then the last thing that I want to encourage you to do this week is honest, clear confession. Honest and clear confession. Confession. I caught myself two weeks ago at the end of a pretty lengthy progression in my life. A couple weeks ago, I realized that my personal confession of sin had become lame, silent, and very passive. I was rushing through. Like, I got to a place where, I don't know, I, I, I don't exactly know why, this seems stupid, but I just felt funny going through the process of confession because I've done it a thousand times, right? And I commit a sin and I'm like, I feel like such an idiot. I'm such a loser. Like what the? And then I would kind of give God a halfway apology and I would do it in my mind, you know, saying the words in my mind. And it turned into, you know how sometimes when you pray, you like pray for like 15 seconds and then you start wondering like why you painted the baseboards in that room, the color that you painted them? Ever, ever, is that just me? It's just me? Okay, I'm a loser. Um, no, like, or you start thinking about the to-do list for the day, and all of a sudden you're, like, writing out how you're going to organize the day, right? And you've just forgotten, like, that you were praying, even? And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be praying here, and you try to, like, dial it back in, and it sort of has, and it works for maybe another 20, I don't know. Like, well, so my confessions were doing this. And I was just trying to, like, I felt like I was just trying to get over it. I was trying to rush through it. And I was like kind of sweeping it under the rug. God, I know you know, I know, I know. I know we've been through this a million times. Um, Look, what really matters is like if I'm just going to do it differently next time, right? So why don't I just get on with it? Like this is what was going on inside of me. And I realized that I was living as though I didn't have a relationship with God at all. I was living as though God didn't care and I wasn't even really talking to him at all. And so, what I did was, I said, "Okay," was I I started to I, I sat down and I walked into the presence of God, and I spoke out loud as though I were sitting before my Father in Heaven. And I said, "God, I am sorry. I have failed you. I don't know why I did this. I don't know how this happened." You know, like, and I feel like such a failure. And I feel like I've been here a thousand times. We've talked about this before. I feel like a lightning rod for sin. God, I don't know why this happens to me. I hate that this happens to me. But I want you to know that I hate that I did this. I'm really sorry. And I'm seeing some of the things, like some of the decisions that I made that put me into this place. And I'm sorry. And then I started wondering, God, like, is this really who I am? Like, is what I'm doing actually, like, is this the definite? Like, is this the reality of who I am? Someone who commits this kind of sin all the time. I mean, maybe I'm not, like, God, where... Is there a reality down below? Is there a reality underneath? Am I even, like, am I even yours? And I think it was because I was, I was treating my sin as though I'd actually hurt my heavenly father, because I had. I was treating God as though he actually cares about my sin, which he does. Not to condemn me, but because he wants to work it out of me. And God actually responded. God said, Stephen, I'm here. I'm always here. Stephen, I'm glad you're coming to me in this new way. It's been a while. And he said, Stephen, yes, there is a reality that's deeper than what you've done. There is a reality. You are my child and I am your father. I have not cast you off and I will not cast you off. And the proof, the proof, Stephen, that this reality is true and it exists underneath what you've done is that you're willing to confess it. Is that you're willing to agree with me that this is bad. Not just wrong, but it's bad for you. And I am here, I am with you I forgive you, and let's talk about what we need to do going forward. Like, for me, for me, I just needed to, it's like, I don't know, I think I just need to remember that God is real, in a sense, you know? Like, I need to remember that my confessions matter because God cares. And so I want to encourage you all this week to take your confession seriously. And go to the Lord as though you'd go to anybody that you had wronged, any friend that you care about and apologize, own it and have your heavenly father reaffirm his adopted love for you. When we do this, it leads us back to the cross and the resurrection, right? Where we find our true king crucified for our sins and then raised to give us new life. Let Jesus reign. Let's pray. Jesus, draw near to us now. Put your loving hand in those areas of our lives that we need to come clean with you. Move us to confession now. And help us to dethrone sin in our lives right now so that you would reign. We thank you that your love doesn't depend on our performance. It depends on your grace. Forgive us according to your grace, we pray in your name. Amen. We're going to receive our offering next. And so if you're going to give, please take a moment and prepare your gifts and I just want to remember, want, want to remind you that whether you give now or you give online during the week, that um, and this is a gospel that is really good news that our city desperately needs to hear. And every gift that you give on Sundays online, it goes to help our church to bring this message into us and into our city. And then remember, if you have a connection card, please remember to fill this out and drop it in the offering basket as it goes by.